Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. I'm Cody Westbrook, the preacher for the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. Today we're going to continue our study uh, of the Beatitudes, which we began in our last episode. We talked a little bit about some background material that's important and helpful as we uh, strive to understand the context in which this Sermon on the Mount was presented. We also talked last week about our attitude towards self, where Jesus says that we are to be poor in spirit and that we are to be meek. Remember that we're dividing the Beatitudes into four main sections. There is, first of all, our attitude towards self. Second, our attitude towards sin. Third, our attitude toward God. Fourth, our attitude toward others. We want to pick up with our attitude towards sin. And we want to look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 4. This is the single beatitude that Jesus mentions here that has something to do with sin. Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Notice again that Jesus, as he goes through these beatitudes, he issues a blessing for something that normally, looking at things from a purely human standpoint, we would not consider to be blessings. In fact, we would consider them to be painful difficulties. But Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek, and now blessed are those who... Who mourn. But we're not talking about just any kind of mourning here. We're talking about mourning over sin and over its consequences in the world. Jesus uses, interestingly enough, the most intense word for sorrow that existed in the Greek language to describe those who mourn over sin and its consequences. And the idea is that they are able to see the impact that sin has on them and on the world around them, and seeing that impact of sin moves them to try and and do something about it. Now, when we think about sin, and when we think about the impact that it has, certainly we should recognize that sin should cause us to mourn. In Lamentations chapter 2 and verse number 11, as the prophet Jeremiah stood and he looked out at Jerusalem as it burned and as its people were being marched away into Babylonian captivity, this is what he said. He said, My eyes fail with tears. My heart is troubled. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because of the children and the infants, they faint in the streets of the city. You see, Jeremiah was moved to emotion, moved to tears because of this destruction that was going on. And that destruction was the direct result of the sin of the people. Sin should cause us to mourn. We read in passages like uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. In Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that sin separates us from God. We're slaves to sin, John 8, verse number 32. So we, like Jeremiah, and like Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 to 39, we ought to see sin 
and the impact that it has on the world, the death and the pain and the destruction that it causes, and it should cause us to mourn. In Matthew chapter 9, and verse number 23, we read about an occasion in which Jesus came into a ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing. And the reason why they were wailing is because a young girl had died. Jesus would go on, of course, to raise this young girl from the dead. But all of these folks who were gathered around are crying and they're wailing. They're in, they're in mourning because death has occurred. We ought to have that same level of mourning, that same level of just being bothered when we think about sin and its impact in this world. So our attitude towards self, humility, and meekness. Our attitude towards sin is mourning. We should never celebrate sin. We should never tolerate sin. We should never be happy or even indifferent towards sin. We should mourn over it and do whatever we can to try and overcome it. Third, our attitude toward God. Our attitude toward God is highlighted in three uh, beatitudes in this section. First of all, in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 6, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hunger and thirst, of course, uh, it, it uh, refers to an intense and a deep longing to be nourished or to be filled. You think about the longing or the urge that a human being has to eat and to drink, uh, to be nourished and people who are starving will do almost anything in order to find just a small amount of food to help give their body uh, some, some fuel, some needed nourishment to keep going. We ought to have that same desire, that same urge, and that same longing for God and for the things of God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 4, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. John chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus said, Labor not for that meat or food which perishes, but labor for that which endures to everlasting life. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2 says, As newborn babes that desire the sincere milk of the word, so that you may grow thereby. What do you want most in life? What do you want most on a daily basis? Are you looking for pleasure? Are you looking for fame? Are you looking for pride? What is it that you want most? Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6, and Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 34, what we should want most is righteousness. We should have an intense and deep longing to be nourished and to be filled, to be right with God, to know more about Him and to be more like Him. Second, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Purity has to do with cleanliness. It has to do with being holy. Sometimes the word is defined as being real or being honest, having integrity, having a single mind or even a singular focus. And purity or being pure in heart involves four things. Number one, there's moral cleanness. And number two, singleness of motive. Number three, a converted heart. And number four, a God-enthroned heart. Moral cleanness, 
someone who's striving to live a righteous and holy life. Singleness of motive, someone whose singular focus, their mindset is always to please God. A converted heart, one that has been given fully over to God and one whose allegiance is completely given to God. And a God-enthroned heart, one in which God rules and which, and which God dictates how that life is lived. The Bible speaks of a pure heart, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and a pure conscience, 1 Timothy 3, verse 9, and a pure religion, James chapter 1, verse 27, and according to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, without which no one can see God. How important is holiness? How important is purity? How important is cleanliness? It's so important that the Hebrews writer says that if we're not pursuing this purity and this holiness, this cleanness, if you will, we'll not be able to see God. Instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, we'll hear, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice iniquity. Our attitude toward God, first of all, hunger and thirst an intense and a deep longing for God and for the things of God. Second, a pure heart, holiness, integrity, a singular focus, focused on being God-like and Christ-like in every way possible. Number three, as Jesus continues to talk about our attitude toward God, he says this in Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our third uh, attitude or characteristic in this uh, section dealing with our attitude toward God has to do with being persecuted being persecuted for following God, being persecuted for being God-like. These who are persecuted are those whose righteous acts are offensive to the people of the world. And we have to understand that godly living will always bring about persecution because godly living condemns the world of sin. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16, as Peter talks about persecution and as he urges the Christians in that time to not be fearful or ashamed of persecution, this is what he says. 1 Peter 4, 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer, he says, as a, uh, as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner." It's difficult for us to imagine, I'm sure, uh, rejoicing and finding, uh, finding uh, joy uh, in being persecuted. But Jesus says when we are persecuted for the sake of God and for the sake of righteousness, that that is a blessing. 
So what should our attitude toward God be? Our attitude should first and foremost be a hunger and thirst. We have an intense desire for God and the things of God. Second, purity. We should be like God. And third, rejoice in persecution. When we are persecuted for our love for God and for following His will and striving to be like Him, we should rejoice because that's a privilege. So we have our attitude toward self, our attitude toward sin, our attitude toward God, and now finally, number four, we have our attitude toward others. And there are two Beatitudes left that fall into this category. Jesus says, uh, first of all, in Matthew 5, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy is an outward manifestation of pity or compassion. It is the idea of feeling sympathy for the pain of others and actively desiring to remove sorrow and misery from them. It is an act of compassion that is motivated by love. As we study the New Testament, what we find is that some of the leaders, the Pharisees, the ones whom Jesus mentions in this very sermon, they never got this point. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 13, we read uh, about the, Paris, uh, the Pharisees, Jesus speaking this, verse 12 and 13, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees never could quite understand the importance of having mercy and of having compassion. This is a reference, by the way, to Hosea chapter 6 and verse number 6. We see it again in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, where, again, the Pharisees failed to understand the importance of compassion. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 7, But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. God, on the other hand, exemplifies mercy. Because of His mercy and His grace, He saved us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. In Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8, the prophet said, God, hath what is he, uh, he has shown you, O man, uh, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to love mercy and to do justice and to walk humbly with the Lord your God. We see it exemplified in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. It's commanded in Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 12. So God wants us to be like Him. He wants us to be merciful. He wants, to, wants us to look upon the pain of others with sympathy and do what we can to try and to help alleviate the sorrow and the misery that they're dealing with. It is an act of compassion that is motivated by love. That should be our attitude toward other people. And then finally, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, as we talk about our attitude toward others, in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers for they should be called sons of God. Peacemaking is simply the promotion and the exercise of goodwill toward other people. It is the opposite of spite, of hatred, of backbiting, of gossiping and slander, and anything else. The Bible teaches us that we are to follow after peace with God, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. That we are to follow after peace with Christians, Ephesians 4 verse 3. And that we are to follow after peace 
even with those in the world. Romans 12, verse 18, as much as is possible. Peacemaking. We live in a world that is constantly in conflict. We live in a country and in a society that is constantly in conflict, fighting with one another on a regular basis. What's the answer? And what's the role of a, of a child of God in all of that? The answer is the gospel, and the child of God is to the very best of his ability, act as a peacemaker, trying to find harmony and unity where it's to be found. So this concludes our uh, very quick overview of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, we have our attitude towards self, our attitude towards sin, our attitude toward God, and our attitude toward others. As we think about this, uh, as we think about this Sermon on the Mount and these Beatitudes, again, we've only scratched the surface of, of these great characteristics and how they uh, call to us, they demand that we live differently, that we live in a way that is set apart and distinctive from the world around us. This is a great study, and again, it's one that should be uh, engaged in on a regular basis, maybe once a year, if not more. We hope you found it helpful. This is the end of this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. We thank you for listening and hope you'll tune in to our next episode as we open up the Bible and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast. Please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.